All right, good morning again to everyone. Let's be finding our seats. Doesn't it feel good when Sunday feels like a Friday because tomorrow you have the day off, right? It's just a, a blessing. We thank our provincial government for legislating Victoria Day and giving us an extra day of rest. Okay, this morning uh, for my message, I'm going to be talking about outflow. And uh, the idea of outflow is, is where God is poured into us so that we can pour into others. Uh, he has poured his truth into us, healing, joy, wisdom, peace, truth, security, sense of identity. We have community. His very kingdom is given to us. Therefore, we can pour it out into others. He's additionally given us skills, clothes, food, finances, experiences that we can share with others. How to parent, how to prosper in marriage, how to do our finances, how to forgive people that we've been bitter with for a long time, how to buy the right cars, how to make bread, how to lose weight, how to invest. There are so many things that God has given to us that God expects for a flow to go out. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 8, Jesus said, freely you have received, freely give. And he was in a place there where he was training the disciples, and he was telling them, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the leper. And this was the first time that they had gotten out into ministry by themselves. You know, they'd seen Jesus do all these miracles, and now it was their turn to do it. Their turn to do it. And so the Lord is saying, okay, you can do it, and go out there and do what you've seen me do. And then he adds this, he says, freely you have received, freely give. In other words, don't worry that your tank is going to go empty. Don't worry that you're just going to use up all the anointing because I have plentiful anointing. The storehouse of heaven is abundant and it will never run dry. So freely you have received, freely give. You're a vessel of me to pour out. In John 17, the Lord said, as he was praying in this last week of his life, the glory that you have given me, Father, I have given to them. So God has given us his presence. He has given us his authority. He has given us all the tools to bring life to other people. A lot of times we think about the struggles that we're going through, but part of the ways that we undo or unleash the life in us is to start serving others. Because many times our healing comes as the scripture says, you shall be healed as you go. And so the Father has given us glory, and we turn around and then give that glory to others. And so the whole concept here is that we are blessed to be a blessing. We're called to have a lifestyle of outflow because that's the life that Jesus led. The Lord said in John 20, as the Father sent me, so I send you. How did God send Jesus? To be that vessel of outflow. And so the Lord says, I'm sending you in that same way so that you can be a vessel of outflow. What Jesus heard from the Father, what he saw the Father doing, that's what he did. And Jesus is that waterfall over us, and we are called to be a waterfall to other people. So I just want to give us these opening thoughts and then open in prayer here, and then we'll go further into the message. Father, thank you for our time together as a church. Thank you that you are our Father. Thank you, Father God, that you have invested deeply into us so that we can deeply invest into others. So let your spirit be upon us. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your blessing. In Jesus' name, amen. So there are two kinds of outflows. <clears throat> the first is individual outflow. And when I talk about this, I'm thinking of like the Samaritan, the good Samaritan. 
You know, we have Good Samaritan laws, but I don't know if people know that the Good Samaritan law is based on the Bible. It's based on this story in Luke chapter 10, where the Bible describes a man that has fallen to robbers. He's beaten, he's stripped, and the scripture says that the man was left half dead. And then it goes on to describe that there was a Levite that came along and saw him on the roadside and didn't do anything about it. So he just passed on. And then there was another uh, priest that came along, saw the situation, and he did not do anything either. But then there was a Samaritan. So Jesus specifically uses the word Samaritan to contrast it with religious people, with those that were from Jerusalem who should have known better. The Samaritans were a rejected people. They were a mixed breed of people. And so the Bible says that the Samaritan came along, saw the situation, and what did he do? Put a bandage on the man. He poured oil on his wounds. He put wine upon them to disinfect it. Then he used his own donkey to carry the man to a hotel where he could rest, and then he paid for the hotel bill. That's outflow. That's individual outflow, where the Samaritan gave of his time and gave of his money and gave of his schedule, but most of all, he gave of his compassion. When we talk about individual outflow, I'm thinking about Tabitha in Acts chapter 9. This is a a very powerful story in which Tabitha actually died, and her friends heard that Peter, the apostle Peter, was in the area, so they went to invite him to come and to pray for her that she would be raised from the dead. Well, the thing that made her so endearing to all the people in her community, the scripture says that she was abounding with deeds of kindness and charity, and she made tunics and garments for everyone. And the key word in this passage about Tabitha It says that she did it continually. There was a continual outflow of her life, touching people, serving people, loving people, caring for people. The Apostle James said, What use is it, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but has no works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of them says, Go in peace, be warmed and be filled, and yet does not give them what is necessary for their body, What use is that? Even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead. So James is saying there there has to be an outflow. If you're a Christian and God is giving you the riches of his blessing, you have to turn around and help others in very practical and tangible ways. I also think about the Cyprian Christians in Acts chapter 11. So what happened is in Jerusalem, there's a massive revival, but there's a massive retaliation, a counterattack at the spread of the gospel. So the religious leaders began to put the apostles into jail. Foremost at the front of that persecution was Apostle Paul. They ended up martyring Stephen, who was the first martyr of the church. And the scripture says there was a scattering of the church. People were leaving the city because the pressure was too intense. But out of that intensity, the Bible says there were some Greeks, those from the country of Cyprus. And so they made their way back to Cyprus, but they had been transformed by the power of the gospel. Their heart was so full. And the Bible says that when they went back to their hometown, they couldn't keep just their mouths closed. They had to share what God had done. And so in chapter 11, verse 20, it says, there were some of the men of Cyprus and Cyrene who came to Antioch, that was one of the cities in their country, and began speaking to the Greeks, also preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a large number who believed turned to the Lord. 
Now, this is the first time in Scripture that the Gentiles began putting their faith in Jesus Christ. That whole thing happened because of the outflow of the heart of those Christians that were from Cyprus, which tells us the purpose of outflow. It's to tell people about Jesus Christ and his salvation, to be servants of God in his process of drawing people to himself. Outflow is a key to salvation. Right? We remember what Paul says in Romans chapter 10. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Whoever, young, old, bitter, wealthy, poor, searching, whoever calls on the name of the Lord, they will be saved. Because God from heaven hears and he sees the heart and he reaches down. That's why he sent Jesus. But Paul says, how will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How will they know to call on the name of Jesus? How will they know to call upon the God of all grace if they haven't heard? How will they believe? How will they hear without a preacher? You're the messenger. You're the ambassador. You bring a plate of brownies. You help someone with a flat tire. You bless them in the name of the Lord. You buy an extra coffee for someone at Tim Hortons. You help someone fumbling with change at Walmart and you pay the bill for them. All those little things in the name of the Lord is part of God's messaging to them in sharing the good news and giving people a picture of what Jesus is like. Another fantastic picture is Peter and James in Acts chapter 3. Revival is breaking out. They're going to the temple to pray every single day. And the Bible says that as they were going and passing the beautiful gate in Jerusalem, there was a lame man who was set there every single day and he would beg for money. And so Peter and John, they come by and they hear the man. And on this day, the Holy Spirit says, new day for this man. We don't know how many times Peter and John went by him, but today was going to be a new day. So quickened by the Holy Spirit, the Bible says that Peter and John fixed their gaze on him and said, look at us. I love that confidence. Look at us. And the blind man, or the beggar, began to give them his attention, expecting to receive something. But Peter says, I don't have silver or gold. I don't have money to put into your hat or onto your blanket. I don't have any shekels. But what I do have, I give to you in the name of the Lord. Rise up and walk. That's outflow. I don't have coin, but I have God's presence. I have healing. I have authority that Jesus invested in us. So rise up and walk. And that's what happened. He stood up and walked. It says he was leaping and praising God. Now, if you've been crippled all your life and you go to your normal routine to beg and all of a sudden these guys walk by, say, get up and walk and you feel your legs getting strengthened and you feel the muscle tone coming back to you and all of a sudden you can rise up without the help of someone else, you better believe that's a good day. And that's a reason for leaping and praising and shouting unto God. Now, this was not a little private prayer session or healing thing that happened, you know, in the corner of the temple. It was right out there at the gate. And so everyone saw it. And the scripture says they, as in the public, were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Outflow rocks the city. Many examples, but these are some of the things that come to mind when we talk about individual outflow. There's also corporate outflow, which is what we're going to focus on this morning. Again, in Acts chapter 2, the early church, the Bible says, they had all things in common. They loved each other so much that they gave up their ownership over things. 
Now, only a great grace can bring us into that kind of sharing and caring. But nevertheless, we see that there was a corporate witness. There was a sense that they were all flowing together, taking the meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all men. And the Bible says the Lord was adding to their number day by day. When there's a corporate outflow and people see it, they're attracted to it. They come and they start inquiring. They're curious. What is going on? How is it that you're sharing everything? How is it that you're sacrificing everything? They could see on their faces the joy and the peace that they had. And people were so drawn that they put their faith in Jesus Christ. Later on, as the church was expanding so much, some of the widows who were on the distribution list for food were left out, specifically the Greek-speaking women. So the Hebrew women, they were taken care of because they were of the same ethnicity. It was very natural to include them. But now there were Greek-speaking women who were coming into the family of faith, but they were left off the distribution list. But the church rose up and included them as well. Corporate outflow. Matthew 10, when Jesus was sending out the disciples two by two, another picture of team and how God calls us to work together. Now here at Five Stones, one of the verses that is near and dear to us, we talk about this in our E1 class, is Jeremiah 29, verse 7. Seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you into exile and pray to the Lord for in its welfare you will have welfare. We have a passion to see our city, New Westminster, be blessed. We're doing our little part in trying to bring prosperity to this place. I could go on and on about just how even the downtown core has transformed over the eight years that we've been here. Hive Cafe and Hive City is about this Jeremiah 29 agenda. But I want to just step back for a moment and recount the many things that we've done here at Five Stones, especially if you've only been in the church the last two or three years. So these are just some samplings from the past. We used to have a dream center in Burnaby. It was a compassion ministry. And we did things like a Wally project where we raised funds for families that didn't have enough finances to buy gifts for their kids. You know, it's a bad feeling for little kids to come to Christmas and all their friends at school are getting gifts, but they feel very left out. So there was a Wally project that we did where we helped raise funds for families so they could buy gifts for their children. We've done downtown Eastside clothing and food distribution. We've had Easter banquets. We've done summer vacation Bible schools. We've done bike repair and safety fairs for Muslim kids. Uh, We've ran Bible studies up at SFU. We've had hot chocolate outreach. We've had show and shine parades, which we don't have anymore. Um, I think the city, I don't know, repositioned it or canceled it for whatever reason. But here's a picture from 2011 right there. And this beautiful woman was just like attracting everyone. But this is what we did right on the sidewalk as people were out there looking at beautiful cars We'd serve them lemonade and just show ourselves to be friendly. I also want to show this picture here. When we first moved in, we had a vegan store that was right next to us, and we had a Buddhist-themed furniture store. So you couldn't get more bohemian than that. I mean, here we are, a Christian church next to a vegan place, and then also a Buddhist furniture store. And we had a little fun. So this little arrow says, well, you did ask for a sign, God. Actually, uh, in the coming months, we're going to be retooling our, our sidewalk sign, and we're going to be putting up some more of those uh, fun sayings. 
But these are things that we've done as part of the rhythm of our church, a part of creating a culture of outflow. And I want to share a concept that we've used and had since the beginning of the church. We haven't actually talked about it very much, but this is how we look at outflow and outreach uh, at Five Stones. And it's called the Ingalls Scale. This is referred to as a spiritual decision process model. So in the early 60s, there was a professor of sociology, a Christian professor of sociology called Ingall. That was his last name. And in 1960, he found that it took seven meaningful encounters with Christianity, with God, to come to faith. Maybe it was a Bible study. Maybe it was going to a Christian concert. Maybe it was hearing a a song on the radio that really touched. But it took seven encounters. Fifty years later, they've updated these statistics. It takes now between 20, and I saw even more recent statistics, 20 to 30 meaningful encounters for people to come to faith. So that means there's a lot more work now in sowing in watering in order to get people's hearts to that place where their eyes are open and they see that Jesus indeed is the lover of their soul. So he further breaks this out. This whole spiritual decision model is a scale, and it begins with a minus A to a plus 3. Minus A being absolutely no belief, and plus 3 being a place where you come to faith. So when you break down just the different little steps in it, when you are at a minus 8, you have absolutely no God framework. We're coming to a place in Canada, despite our Christian heritage, where we have an entire generation of people that have absolutely no God framework, apart from seeing a steeple on a church building. They just don't have any reference anymore, because that teaching has ebbed, that teaching has been disconnected from their upbringing. So as they begin to move up the scale, there might be just that initial awareness of the gospel. I grew up with absolutely no God framework. I didn't know who Adam and Eve was until I was in eighth grade. That's how separated I was from the message. So there are people now in our midst. They have no God framework. They barely have an awareness. But as we start getting in front of them, serving them, and love them, we start moving them up the scale to a place where all of a sudden they might have been neutral about the gospel, but now they're positive. Oh, that barista is so nice. Like, what's with her? What's with him? And, oh, Hive Cafe is attached to a church? Well, that's kind of interesting. You guys have a design studio that makes stuff for Microsoft? What's up with that? We're changing people's perception, and we're moving them up the scale, and pretty soon the Holy Spirit starts mixing and working. Finally, they come to a place where they say, you know what, Lord, I need you. I see my need. I didn't think I had any need, but now I have a need. And you died on the cross for my sins, and I need to surrender my life to you. So they keep moving up the scale to where they come into new birth, and then they move into a place of discipleship. Now, this scale is really important for us to understand for several reasons. Number one, it helps us to visualize and conceptualize the seeker's journey. So we go back here. You might talk to someone on the street, and they're down here at minus eight. Or they might be here at minus one. We don't know where they are, but we're just called to move in obedience and to love people. And as we do that, we're part of their journey. We're used by the Lord to move them to that place of trusting in the Lord. So the English skill helps us to visualize and conceptualize the seeker's journey. It gives us a proper mindset. Now what happens is revival, like in Asia, in China, where I've been going for 25 years, communism. The communist party is God. 
Everything is ruled by the Communist Party. There is no God. It's an atheistic framework. People are just spiritually barren. But then the Holy Spirit, God sovereignly pours out, and they go from no God framework to new birth in one meeting. In one meeting, because they sense the presence of God. They sense the love of God. They sense a message of hope they've never heard before. So in different places, in different times, in different cities, in different countries, there's a different spiritual climate. So number two, it helps us to embrace, see our role in helping people move up this scale. And each step is as important as the other. Okay? So if you help someone move from minus five to minus four, you've done a great job. If you help move someone from minus three to minus two, you've done a great job. Now, the people that get all the praise are those that help people from minus one to zero. Praise the Lord, I got to pray with them and they trusted in Jesus. But you don't know all the people that were along this chain that helped them. It's all important. We all have to do our part. So this English skill it also helps us to locate the spiritual climate of a city. As you know, we're about church planting. When we go into other cities, we're seeking, we're praying, saying, okay, God, where is this city at? What are the ways that we can do it? We can go to Asia. We can do pantomimes on the streets. We can do open street preaching, and people will come to the Lord. We do that here in New Westminster. We do it in Vancouver, and they mock you. They don't listen to you. They absolutely ignore you. It's a different spiritual climate. So the climate helps to govern and helps us to understand, okay, how do we approach this? You can talk to different people, and someone can be just very naturally healthy in their soul, and you can engage in conversation quite deeply. Other people come from a very bruised background, and it takes a while to build trust, to get to a place where you can have a decent conversation. So in the same way that we work with people and try to understand them, so we have to understand the personality of cities. So this whole concept has always been in the back of our minds as leadership. And it's informed how we go about our outflow. So I wanted to just bring this picture to us, and hopefully this is helpful to you, so that you understand why we have strategy and why we do things in a certain way. Now, let's just apply this quickly to what I call the seven building blocks of outflow. This is really almost a seminar in and of itself, but I'm just going to hit the high points. The first is that we have to have a burden for the lost. Jesus said, as the Father sent me, I sent you. Now, why would Jesus leave heaven? Why would he leave glory? Why would he leave perfection and come to a place where it's as imperfect as, as it could be because of his love for you and me. He inconvenienced himself. He left comfort and convenience and embraced the inconvenience of sin and just the darkness of our condition because of his love for us. He went out of his way to do this. And people feel the authenticity when we go out of our way to reach them and to love them. 1 Timothy 2 verse 4 says, God desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of truth. So if you feel like, you know, I'm a little weak in my burden for the loss, then this morning pray, God, give me the heart that you have for people. Second thing is that we have to break the fear of man. You know, there's a politically correct culture out there, and it's getting more and more hostile to Christians. More and more difficult to open our mouths and talk about our Christian beliefs because it will be persecuted, it will be denigrated, and in some cases, we may end up on the wrong side of the law because there's legislation that's coming down the pipe that will say, you know what, you can't say that. Because if you say that, it says this, this, and this. 
So there's a climate out there that makes us fearful, makes us like afraid to open our mouths. But in Acts 4, it says, of the early church, they prayed, and as they prayed, the place was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God with boldness. That's what we need is we need fresh boldness. Throw off the fear of man. We need leadership modeling. Paul wrote to Timothy, do the work of an evangelist. Timothy himself was not a natural evangelist. Paul was very much a natural evangelist, but Timothy was a little bit more shy. And I can relate to, to Timothy because that's my constitution. Like natural outreach is, is one of my weaknesses. So Paul spoke to Timothy and he said, okay, you don't have to be an evangelist, but just do the work of an evangelist. Help to redefine for Timothy so that he could be the leader to model for his congregation what it was to have that outflow. Empowering people. In Ezekiel chapter 37, there's this powerful picture that's given to us that as Ezekiel the prophet prophesied over these dry bones, he said, as I prophesied, breath came into them and they came to life and stood on their feet as an exceedingly great army. The work of outflow has to be done by all of us. This is not a staff-driven thing. This has to be where all hands are deck and we're all involved. We have to be involved in experimenting and tinkering. Proverbs 24, 16, for a righteous man falls seven times and rises again. Oh, I thought if we hear God, everything goes perfect. I thought if the Lord is leading us, it will always lead to success. Unfortunately, that's not the case. We live on this side of heaven. We hear imperfectly. We may go in the right direction, but we make mistakes. We fall down, but we have to get up again, again, and again. And God helps us in that iteration until we get it correctly. So we can't be afraid of failure. If we don't try, if we don't venture anything, nothing is gained. Of course, we need to pray and intercede. This is not just a marketing campaign. This is not just natural dynamics or interaction we're talking about. This is a spiritual transaction. There is spiritual warfare. There are powers out there that are keeping people from knowing Jesus. Paul said that the eyes of the unbeliever are blinded. There's a mass deception out there. Therefore, Jesus said in Matthew 9, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest. Lord, you are the Lord of the harvest. You want a harvest to come in, and we're praying to you that you would use us to bring those people in. Last point here is that we need to persist and persevere. Solomon had some wise words for us. He said, sow your seed in the morning and do not be idle in the evening. For you do not know whether morning or evening sowing will succeed or whether both of them alike will be good. You don't know if you're nice to the person on the sky train in the morning, if that's going to lead to a conversation, or you don't know if your conversation in the evening when you're coming home from work, if that's going to lead to a conversation. You may start something in the morning and it's like, I'm so tired, I don't even want to talk to you. Please don't even talk to me. Nothing happens. But in the afternoon, you might say something. You might say, oh man, I tried to talk to someone in the morning. They just brushed me off. But no, persevere, be persistent, show yourself friendly, and that conversation might lead to something. Or it might be flipped and be inverted. But Solomon says we need to sow our seed. In other words, we need to be intentional and purposeful, regular and consistent. He also said in the same chapter, cast your bread on the surface of the waters, for you will find it after many days. So there's always not an instant return or an instant response, but you plant a seed. Cast your bread upon the water, and it'll come back. 
I remember when I was in my first year of university, I'd just gotten saved as a, uh, at 17, went to school. I was really, really excited about my faith, and I put this poster in my dorm room that, you know, talked about God. And I had one of my classmates come in one time, and he was just looking around my room, and he was kind of a snoopy guy. I don't know why I did this. He would open my drawers and see what was there. I think he was looking for food. Um, and so he came to this part of the wall where I had this Christian poster, and he read it, and he goes, whoa. And he just turned around, and he goes, that's not who I am. So I said, fine, no problem. You know, I wasn't offended by him. He just read it, and he just obviously had this distinct feeling like, wow, okay, so I know where this guy is. Long story short, he goes off on an off-campus study program. A year later, he comes back, and he got radically saved. And he said to himself, I have to connect with some Christian on campus. Who on campus is a Christian? And guess what? He remembered that poster. Came back to me. We became great friends. So you don't know the little things of how we just are broadcasting our faith, whether it's in a big way or small way, that will make an impact. Now, this idea of sowing and watering is so important because how do we make a plant grow? How do we make a seed grow? Do we just give it one gigantic dousing and then that's it? It takes repetition. You have to do it again and again and again, and then you see the plant come up out of the ground. So maybe as you were sitting here in the beginning of the service, you were sort of paying attention to our slides overhead about our spring focus. All the things that are going on, we heard about the, the prayer walk, and I'm going to run through these slides really quickly here. But it, all these different things is about the idea of we are blessed to be a blessing. Cast our bread on the water. Move people up that ingle scale. Right? So this prayer walk with Bernice, she only does fun things. I like this part. Rain or shine. Right? I mean, that, that's Vancouver. But this is dedication. Doesn't matter if it's going to rain or not. You don't say, okay, only if it's going to be a sunny day am I going to go and pray. No. We're going to go out there. We're going to sow. The faith and fitness thing with Henzi talked about. This is a way for you to bring along people who maybe wouldn't want to go to church. But hey, you know what? They're open to doing some yoga. They're doing some stretching. They get to be around some just fun people. And again, have a new picture of what Christians are like. In a couple of weeks here, about a month, um, Kevin and Julia Garrett, who are missionaries, they're going to be leading a cross-cultural workshop. In other words, how do we properly uh, go to other countries to be part of the people there so that we can share the good news with them. So this is going to be a three-part seminar on June 14, 15, and 16. And it basically is a picture of how do we, like Jesus, when he came from heaven to earth, how do we also take on that wisdom so that we can relate and connect to people when we go to another culture? Again, another picture of how this is outflow, how God has called us to be ambassadors. Another thing that we're going to be doing this summer is Fridays on Front. So the BIA, every summer, closes down uh, Front Street on Fridays for eight weeks straight, and they just turn it into a mini food fair. And we're right in the center of it, and so we have the last two summers set up a tent, uh, sold Johnny Pops. And so these are all ways for us to be out there, to be sewing, and then our Hive Cafe. And I want to focus for just a moment here on Hive Cafe and, and talk about it. We've been a little bit quiet in some regards about Hive Cafe and Hive City. And we started up, you know, why are we more explicit about it? The reason is because we planted a flag in the ground and said we're going to be a business. 
And if we just trumpet it super loud, yeah, we're a Christian business and we're doing this, and then we fail in six months, or we don't actually run the business well, we actually give a bad testimony to the city. And we know anytime you start up a business, it takes two or three years to really get your feet planted on the ground. So we wanted to make sure that we got our witness straight, we have actual things that people will enjoy, that this will be a viable thing. And we're moving to that place so we can be a little bit more open and we begin to leverage our cafe in particular to continue reaching out to the city. And I really see Hive Cafe as not a coffee shop, but a hospitality platform. Did you know that one of the last day's ministries, Peter said, before the Lord returns, show hospitality one to another. There's something about hospitality, receiving people into your home or receiving people into your sphere of activity that is so just, it's so warm and it's so personal. And coffee shops have that hospitality vibe and, and that's how we see Hive Cafe. And in particular, it's what we call a religiously neutral space. If we had a coffee shop just in our foyer area, people would not come in to the church to go get coffee. They need a religiously neutral place in order for them to feel comfortable. And so we're going to do three things here to extend our hospitality platform. We're going to be uh, creating a co-sharing and study workspace. We're going to be bringing back documentary night, and I'm going to talk a little bit about Alpha. But I'd like Liz to come on up and share a little bit about our co-sharing and study workspace. Hi, everyone. Um, so I'm really excited to talk about uh, what we want to do with the second floor. So um, as some of you may know, we took over the whole building, all four stories of this building, a few years ago. And we renovated the second floor, and it's this big, open, beautiful space. And we're so blessed to have it, and we've been using it as event space. So we've had um, members in the church uh, use it for their own events. And we've also actually rented the space out to people in the community or people who've heard about the space. And uh, they've used it for uh, parties and business meetings and a whole plethora of things. So we've been really blessed to just have made a lot of connections with people as they've been using it and it's really been kind of a, a really fun uh, thing for us to have and be able to offer to people. But um, what we're looking at doing it with it now is changing it up a bit. So we want to offer it as a co-sharing workspace during the week when the Hive Cafe is open. Um, so we want it to be a partnership between the between Five Stones and the cafe, just to uh, deepen that relationship and, as Rich mentioned, make that link more noticeable, I guess. Um, we've seen a lot of growth with the cafe where we have people who come in. We actually have a small Bible study group that comes in and sits at one of the tables and does a study. We have different groups come in. We have people come in and work or sit on their computers for a few hours. We are limited with space down there. Um, we can only have 20 people there at a time. So what we're looking at is opening up the second floor during the week and allowing people who um, may be linked to the cafe or even who aren't to actually come up. We're going to set up the space with, uh, with uh, tables and desk space and kind of uh, create recreate the atmosphere from the cafe that everybody seems to love and um, move it onto the second floor. And that way, if somebody comes into the cafe and they um, are somebody who has before sat for a few hours in the cafe or um, even if they've never done that before, we'll be able to offer, hey, did you know that we have this space upstairs?
upstairs. If they buy a drink at the cafe, they will get uh, access to the space upstairs. And if they don't, um, we're looking at setting up a small a small fee to let them uh, to let people come upstairs and. Uh, we're going to have Wi-Fi and just create a great atmosphere. It's going to be comfortable and uh, just sort of an extension of the Hive Cafe space, um, but something that the church is providing. And it's just a really great way for us to open up this beautiful space that we have and share it with the community. So logistically, it helps up helps free up space at the cafe, but in the kingdom perspective, it's a really cool way for us to open up the space that we have and, uh, and share it and deep, really deepen our relationship in the community as well. So our big thing is what do we need for this? Um, we obviously as staff can't run this and uh, do everything else that we need to do during the week. So what we're actually looking for is people who'd be interested in volunteering to um, be sort of monitors down there um, for, for shifts. So we're looking at like shorter periods of time. Um, people who really are outgoing, energetic, like to, to talk to people. Um, you'd really be a, acting as an ambassador for the church to the community. Um, there would be uh, there would be basic things that you would need to do. Obviously, like just be welcoming, track people that are coming in and out if they need to pay, things like that. But really, what we're looking for are people who um, are who have a heart for the city and really a heart for people and are, um, are just interested in getting to know people more and really connecting them uh, back to the church. And yeah, so that's, that's what we're looking for. So if you are interested in that at all, if you have any questions, if anything, anything comes to mind, any ideas, anything like that, um, please let me know. Uh, we're really excited to get this space started in the, in the short future and uh, excited to have you guys be a part of it. Cool. That sounds like a lot of fun. Well, for those that have been part of the church for more than six years, uh, you know what documentary nights are. Documentary nights are something that we have uh, done before. Just to give you a little bit of statistic, I actually dug back into my old, old uh, emails and projects that we've done here at the church. Um, Casey and I actually ran documentary nights for almost two years, close to two years. And we showed close to 30 films in those two years. Isn't that crazy? 30 films. Um, that's why we were tired. Uh, by the end of the documentary nights when we decided to shut it down, um, only Kezia and I were actually running it. Uh, there was no volunteers from the church, there's nobody. But we had a following of over 100 people from the community and we would show these docu documentaries at the Heritage Grill because we didn't have the space here yet at the Heritage Grill, that's just down the block in the, back, in the back room, and we had upwards of 80 people a night coming out for these things. Non-church community member people. And so what's the purpose of Doc Night? When we first started Doc Nights, it was really about social justice. But as I rethink about our documentary nights, we really wanna start talking about kingdom values. And so Doc Nights, the purpose of it isn't uh, a, a Christian promotion, it's actually about kingdom values. How, how are we as Christians promoting kingdom values? So none of the documentaries we show are actually Christian documentaries. Every single one of them are actually non-Christian documentaries that hold onto some value of, of, of Christianity, whether it is about the environment, whether it is about people, whether it is about uh, sex trafficking, whether it is about human trafficking, what, whatever the issue is, it's issues that Christians should have a hand in. It's, it's about caring about the world that we live in. And so 
for documentary nights, we are actually going to start them off in the cafe. Uh, as it grows, we may have to move location, but the cafe will always be that starting point for us. The cafe, whether we move the documentary nights over into the event space, whether we have it at the park, whether we have it um, next door right here in the parking lot, it's going to start at the cafe. Uh, and so what is the purpose of this? The purpose is to draw out the community, is to draw out the community to a place where there's a neutral place for us to talk about kingdom values. Part of the documentary nights, as we pick out the documentaries, we are going to also bring in experts uh, in that field so that there is a Q&A aspect to it. We don't want it just to be an awareness piece. We want it to be there to be an action piece that comes along with it. So we're going to bring an expert along. Uh, so if we're talking about farming practices in North America. We want to bring in farmers that are doing ethical farming practices to come and answer some questions uh, and, and talk about how do we do this right. Um, and so that there is an action point for us to actually to, to go off of. Um, what we're going to do is also we're going to make it an event. So every single documentary night, we're going to make it an event where it's not just about come see a documentary. We're going to sell tickets. They're going to have full buffet of food, popcorn. We're going to get a liquor license so we could have wine and, and, and beer at the events as well. Uh, we want to throw it as a community event. We want to do it a for uh, as a first-rate type of event that people look forward to, that people think, oh, this is a date night. This is something that we can do together uh, and bring our friends and, 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 and be able to uh, uh, just talk about something that's important to us. Uh, I mean, we live in Vancouver. Everybody has a platform. Um, so, yes, we're not going to make this overtly Christian, but the fact that Five Stones is the host of it, that in itself, will people will know that this is, this is a, a, a church that's doing it. Um, we're not going to go and just slam the Bible down people's throat, but this is moving them up into that, in, in that angle scale, scale where, okay, churches are doing something. Something that we believe in, causes that we believe in, and the church is actually promoting it. And so that's, that's that engagement piece. What do I need? I need volunteers. Uh, I need volunteers to help me... Uh, run these events. Um, I already have recruited a couple people, but always need more people uh, to be able to do this. And if, so if you're passionate about uh, current events, if you're passionate about documentaries, if you're passionate about just reaching the community, come talk to me. Um, we're good, probably going to start this off not as intense as we used to. We used to do this. We started at once a month, and we went like once every other week, and we went once a week. It was, it was insane. We're going to do four really great events to start off with in this, for this first year. So once a quarter, for great events, uh, we're even thinking of how do we even creatively um, watch the documentary, you could say. Uh, so we, we were talking about how we could broadcast it right on the side of the building here. Uh, we have this crazy idea of let's come in and it'll be like this cube that you see and you can watch it from all different directions. And uh, so... We want to make them crazy. We want to make it special. We want to make it this event that you come to, that you just come in and you're immersed uh, in, the, in, in these things. And so uh, if you're interested, come talk to me. This is something that we want to do as a church. Uh, it is all volunteer-based, uh, but 
uh, I need a team to help me do that. And so if you're interested, come and talk to me. <clears throat> I hope you're beginning to catch the picture of how we're extending what Hive can do and how each of us can be potentially involved in these things. I want to talk a little bit about Alpha. Alpha might be something that some of us are familiar with, but maybe some of us need a refreshing or introduction for the first time. So Alpha actually has been around for quite a while. He was pioneered out of England. And one of the things I love most about Alpha is just universal appeal. Uh, having come from the States, you know, there's a lot of outreach kind of techniques and strategies. And you know, not a single one works in Canada. That's the dead truth. It doesn't work because they don't understand the culture of Canadians. But this whole Alpha program comes out of England, and there's such a cultural connect, the way they talk, the way they think. And of course, we're always endeared by their accents when they're talking in English. Uh, but it, it, it's so, so effective. In fact, that 29 million people have gone through an Alpha course globally. That represents 100 languages in 169 countries. Now, right now, there's about 204 countries in the world, and almost five-sixths of the countries in the world uh, have now been exposed, or people from those countries have been exposed to it. And so we want to invite you out, uh, either to bring a friend, or if you want to be involved in helping me lead uh, this Alpha course. And of course, we're going to use it where? In the Hive Cafe, where there's going to be either full-on food, dinners, or, or you know, some kind of treats beforehand. But again, we want to leverage this physical footprint so that we can seek the welfare of the city and spread God's love. Now, I do want to say one thing is that none of these initiatives will be launched without your help. Um, if we don't get help, we're not going to do it. Uh, you need to be the warm smile. You need to be the strong handshake. You need to be the face of this church. I don't want them to see me. I don't want them to see John. I don't want them to see Liz. I want them to see you. You are Five Stones Church. So we're going to be pretty firm about this. If we don't get enough people, it's just going to languish. So we really need you. This is something that God has given us. We have this amazing asset and treasure in the city, right in the heart of the city. New Westminster is in the center of the greater Vancouver area, and our church is in the center of the center. So God has given us something to steward, and we have this space downstairs that people love and can enjoy. Now we want to just use that as a place to receive people, share with them what we just um, feel so dear about with regard to who Jesus is. So final slide here, and then we're going to wrap up the service. This is an Ethiopian proverb that says, when spiders' webs unite, they can tie up a lion. And John Maxwell, leadership <clears throat> guru, teamwork makes the dream work. So um, these are two thoughts for us that help us to capture our outflow as a team, and how we as a church can continue to make an impact in our city. So I'm going to have the worship team come on up, and I'm going to close in prayer here. Father, we thank you this morning that you have entrusted us with so many gifts and so many talents and so many opportunities. And as you have given to us, Lord, you have told us to freely give. <clears throat> so I pray, God, that you just speak to our hearts in ways that we can continue to show kindness and compassion, show practicality, Lord, to those that are all around us. There might be someone that was quickened to someone they need to talk to at work or someone in their neighborhood or someone across the street. Lord, help us to follow through 
and make good on that. We thank you that you've poured into us. God, now it's our turn to pour into others. We thank you now in Jesus' name. Amen.